Hi, this is Coach Jeff Wright, and in my podcast, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, we will take a deep dive with industry experts into different aspects of commercial real estate. My ultimate goal is to give you the knowledge, confidence, and belief that you can transact commercial real estate at a high level, just like you do with residential real estate. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. And I have as my guest for this episode, one of the most important in my own life, um, both on a personal and professional basis, Mr. Ray Rizzio. Welcome, Ray. Good to be with you, Jeff. Yeah, great to have you. So, Ray, I want to just give the audience a little background when I say one of the most important people in my life. So, Ray got his law degree in 1985. And for those that remember um, a little background myself, I got my real estate license a little bit before that. So Ray and I, from the time I started my own firm in 1987, we were many times people thought joined at the hip. There's so many legal transactions where Ray was the lawyer, or Ray was the planning and zoning development guy, just, just did tons of things together. So it's just great to, to be able to do this podcast with you. Looking forward. Yeah. So I want to just tell you a couple more things. So for those that are sports folks, I'm going to give you what I look at for Ray. Ray is a guy that, you know, in the baseball world, we tell the guys that are going to make it are five tools. Well, Ray for me and Ray for what he has accomplished is really a five-tool player, and I'm going to call it from the real estate, from a legal standpoint and a development standpoint investor. And what do I mean by that? So I mean that Ray's first expertise was as a residential lawyer. So for our podcast and for our residential agents, that's great. In addition to being a residential lawyer, and not all residential lawyers do this, Ray became expert in the commercial space, commercial law. In addition to that, Ray literally represented lots and lots of banks over the years, representing the bank doing any of their loan work for commercial deals. So really became really knowledgeable and depth at just how banks structured things and what was important overall. Then in addition to that, Ray, you know, I've told our audience before that I spent a lot of time doing land development work and creating expertise with that. Ray still to this day is one of the premier planning and zoning lawyers in our area. And then the fifth tool part that I say is Ray has actually put himself at risk. So he's also worn the investor hat and done investor deals. And I would say to everybody on the call, and you know, curious if you agree with this, and I'm sure you actually do, is that until you put yourself at risk in some of these deals, that's when you really learn the deals themselves. And uh, did I miss anything about that background? Well, I was afraid you were going to tell me a utility <laughs> player that could fill in for anybody. <laughs> so it was nice to uh, nice to be a five-tool player. But yes, I can tell you, um, each one of those segments have made have have, in, have reflected and made me a better lawyer, a better developer. And all those tools developed over forty years gives you a little bit of in, gives you better insight. It gives you makes you a better developer because you understand the legal side. And it makes you a much better lawyer when you can when you can sit next to a client and have not just 
seen the paperwork, but have experienced this, the stress, the anxiety, um, felt what the risk is like, understand the downside and the upside from an investor standpoint, and not just from what's in the papers. Yeah. So when you have that, it's, 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 a, it's a different kind of camaraderie when you do the deals, whether as the lawyer or as the investor. And I, I think each one of those components were very important for me in making me a better lawyer, a better communicator and understanding. Even from once you've done the developments, it's a lot easier to explain when you're planning and zoning lawyer how these developments need to work, not just fit a regulation, but how they work. From a banking lawyer, how you can, when you've signed a guarantee, you understand telling your client the stress of signing a guarantee sure. when you've actually put your own life and own financial net worth at risk. Yeah. So it all ties in together. And I think it, hopefully with our this podcast, I'm not sure where we're going with it, but I think that correlation between a residential and a commercial broker is if people want to intertwine both types of practices, they'll see they're actually very similar and the experiences from both sides will make them well, better. And that's a great launching point, just to some of the things I want to ask you, because our, our, a lot of our audience is those residential realtors and trying to help them understand that with the right knowledge, becoming an A-plus student and building their confidence, they can do both. Right. They can do both. So let's just start at some of the things just from an education standpoint. So let's just look at the contract itself for commercial deal. So just talk us through just quick differences. So between residential and commercial, and I'll just ask you some questions. So length of contract difference? Is there typically a difference in the length of the contract? You know, all, every state's different. The residential contracts are much simpler. They're much more straightforward. It's really what should have been, they really shouldn't be that different because you're dealing with real estate, you're dealing with contingencies, and you're dealing with what happens when somebody doesn't behave. So they shouldn't be that different. And they don't necessarily, certain states have all come up, or most states have come up with a standardized contract in residential real estate because the, the, the deals happen so much quicker. There's a very short time frames. They don't have the time for lawyers to over-lawyer something. Um, I will say, unfortunately, technology has led to a lot of where when I first started out practicing and secretaries had to type the contract, the commercial real estate contracts were a lot shorter. But now when you can just merge in clauses and turn what should be a six to seven page document into a 50 page contract, it's just so easy to do. The unfortunate part is somebody still has to read all this stuff and negotiate all this stuff. So the essentials should be the same, but given typically the dollars are different, it ends up, it ends, it, it, the, the commercial contracts end up being a lot longer. But the same concerns are your contingencies, your due diligence, all the, all the, all the essentials, you're dealing with a piece of real estate. And they shouldn't be that different, but they are. Yeah. And I often talk about similarities and differences between both. And one of the major similarities is just what you said. There is due diligence and there are contingencies. But one of the things I tell people, and, and I know you understand this extremely well, is that the due diligence in the commercial deal, you've got to do that well, depending on what the complexity of that deal is, because if you're not taking the time and the due diligence in a commercial deal, that's where I see some of these deals really fail. 
hundred percent. I mean, because there's a whole different in the due diligence part of the commercial deal. There's an economic impact that's different. You, you're looking at income streams. You're looking at strength of tenants. You're looking at length of leases. You have to look at all these leases where the right a traditional residential home. You're basically looking at just the property and its structure, and that's where the due diligence is. Right. The due diligence is tenfold in a commercial deal, depending on the certain commercial deal, because there's all those elements that you have to investigate outside the structure of the property. Right. So and tell me if you agree. I mean, I tell people just overall, when we're looking at the commercial contract, we're looking at a longer contract, number one, which you talked about. Number two, you're looking at contingencies taking longer to satisfy the due diligence in particular. The financing is typically significantly more involved for what has to be done. Term sheets are generated. An approval commitment letter has to be signed. And then the closing documents for the financial deal. So just a lot longer time overall. overall. So that goes to the next point. In I mentioned early in podcast and describing you, you were for a very long time. We did so many transactions together. Any client I had, you were the recommended lawyer and any development we did, um, 50% probably the developments I did, you were part of that one, either represent the lawyer or you were the planning and zoning guy or both. So I know that for in the residential space, it's really important to have a really good team. And that really good team in residential is making sure you have a you know, couple of good lawyers, a couple of good loan officers, a couple of good inspectors, and you're in good shape. Commercial, how do you see the commercial? Same team, do you need any deeper lineup? Do you need anything? I think um, all the essentials that you talked about, a good bank that you had some confidence in that can deliver a deal, a good lawyer who understands. And one thing I think it's important is not just a lawyer who can paper a deal, but a, lay- a lawyer who understands the deal and understands the stress points. I've seen many lawyers are, spend hours and thousands of dollars arguing over points that will never will never come about. You know, you know something's not going to be subject to a condemnation, yet they waste hours and time based on a, whether this a certain piece of property is going to be condemned. So getting a lawyer that can cut to the chase, understand the deal, know where your goals are is extremely important. So, you know, that, that, and that, that can kill a deal in and of itself. Inspector's important. And then the ability to, the difference, once again, in commercial is having, making sure if you don't understand it yourself, that there's got to be somebody good that really understands the economics and understands the strength of tenants and understands, um, economic values, just not structure values that you would look at in residential real estate. And one of the points, Ray, that I've made often in the High Risers Club and the course that I wrote was you need to make sure that you're asking, the agent's asking, is your lawyer experienced in the commercial real estate space? Because if they're a lawyer doing other kinds of things, and they are just a utility guy handling any aspect of law, there's absolutely a difference in the level of talent and sometimes the level of execution that can get done. 
Very, yeah, it's a very good question because I always look at it when somebody says, and then it, it even evolves as you get, as you get, as you get more in, you know, real estate sounds like, you know, says, do you do real estate? There's so many segments of real estate. You have your residential real estate, then you have your re apartment type residential real estate. Then you have your commercial, which leads to industrial, to retail, um, to self-storage, to so, and there's a levels of expertise that are needed in everything. So if you have somebody who can kind of understand or touch both, you understand the complexity. So in other words, if it's a single tenant um, industrial property, can, you, can, can the lawyer or can the clients got to look at the strength of that tenant, not just the property? Can he, do you understand where you're, where you're, the reuse of the possible, possible reuse of a property? Where it's, you know, on the residential side, you're looking at a property, Maybe the only reuse of it is a teardown and a rebuild, where when you come to an industrial or office or retail, the question becomes, is it a great location? Secondly, as the market changes, can you adjust and adapt and have a reuse of a property? Um, and it all becomes in somebody's mentality. Are mm -hmm. they a long-term holder or are they somebody who's looking to make a quick dollar and flip? Right. And that's why my final point, just underscore what you just said. It's strongly, I strongly recommend that someone has a lawyer, commercial lawyer that understands what they're trying to do and trying to accomplish just overall. So the next thing I want to mention is that I know I have experienced with our own team and other agents who will call me in the market and say to me, I've got this land piece of land or I've got this commercial opportunity and I don't have a clue what to do. I'm not sure what to do. Um, and I know many of those times, you know, I'll either direct them to you or another lawyer that has an expertise in whatever that field is. But one of the things that I really believe, and I want you to just talk about this in your own experience, is that Many times, a residential realtor is the first point of contact for some of these commercial opportunities. Even though they may not have the experience, their client doesn't know that. And so they're reaching out to somebody like you to try to figure out what to go ahead and do. Uh -huh. So if I was to say to you just on a percentage basis, what do you see in terms of do you see a lot of residential realtors that have reached out over the years with commercial opportunities? And, and again, residential realtors, I'm not saying that have experience doing it. I'm just saying that have an opportunity and they're trying to figure out where to go with it. Much more so. I think in the, a lot of times, given in the major cities, I think it's there's a much more clear definition. People, realtors only do office. Realtors only do industrial Realtors only do commercial, commercial or residential. Correct, right. When you get out in the suburbs and the smaller areas where the marketplace doesn't require, can't handle, or there's not enough inventory to handle those specified, the realtors typically come in touch with a lot of people. And then it's also people that they may know. It's all relationship driven. Um, so typically the residential realtor has a broad base of knowledge, knows their community, knows knows. Has, has has met the people that maybe own these properties or family have held the properties and then need to direct the per people in a good position. And typically they don't necessarily want to call a developer because they're trying to do the best for their landowner and the developer's trying to do the best for themselves. So you, when you, if you can reach out to a lawyer, um, a planner, 
an architect or an engineer who can say what can be done um, with this property, it's really important because you need somebody on your side of the fence. So if you reach out to a developer, he's going to look at it as an opportunity for him, not as much as an opportunity for your client. And I think any seller should understand the value of its property and what can be done with it before they list it yeah. and sell it. Because a lot of times, if you don't know what's coming down the road or the town's looking to adopt some changes or the regulations are going to change or the new zoning board is a lot more like to see a lot more development than the previous zoning board, the values can change dramatically. Yeah. But without that inside knowledge, it's a piece of property. Yeah. And that's all. So I want to just go back to one point that I want to underscore for everyone. And that is when you did a little separation between what happens in a major city versus suburban communities. And that's one of the major points that I make is that in the suburban communities, you're going to be dealing with a lot of local ownership. People you might have, someone, realtors have helped residentially. And a lot of this stuff they're doing is not going to be these multi-million dollar right. things. So and it, the big commercial brokers aren't interested in some right. of the things below a certain exactly. level. So that, again, is where I see a major opportunity for some of the residential realtors to learn the commercial language and to be able to be successful there. I wanted you to put on your cap as both an attorney and investor now. And I want to talk about just the word fee, because in the residential space forever, most of the fees have been paid for somebody represented buyer come through a seller paying the fee. There have certainly been times a buyer's paid a fee if something's off market or whatever it might be. But I want if you can, to give our residential realtors just a little bit of comfort, a little bit of confidence to know that it is something that you as an investor, if someone brought you an opportunity, talk to me about, is it something you'd be willing to pay a fee to a realtor? Have you seen your clients sign agreements to be able to pay a fee to a realtor? Just talk about the fee in the commercial space about that overall. Yeah, I mean, unless it's a family member bringing you a piece of property <laughs> that, they'll, that they'll somehow enjoy down the road, I think everybody's entitled to some kind of compensation when they help create value. And I certainly look at it if somebody bought me a deal and said, hey, you know, I think there's an opportunity here that, you know, that that person needs to be compensated for giving you that opportunity. And uh, I, th I think it's, it's I, I don't think there's resistance the one thing that is important that I've learned over the years, it's important to be, to make clear what that is right from the start. So, because um, it just leads to a lot of misunderstandings. But if, you, if you're very forthright, then person the person can underwrite your fee into that deal. And if it makes sense, they'll do it. If it doesn't make sense, then the question becomes, do you have a chance if that person buys it to know that, say it's a subdivision, a future subdivision, that you'll get all the listings. I think the most important thing is just have clarity as to what it is. And if the person, and, and when you're bringing, and it makes it a little more difficult if you don't have a relationship with somebody, but when you have a relationship, I think it's clarity is the most important thing. I think I, I, that that's what I would say. I, I think everybody understands that we're all in this, not only because we like it, not only because we enjoy the people we work with, but everybody that's that's out there pounding, pounding the streets needs to get compensated. Yeah. 
And I tell, I tell folks this. And if, if I was having the conversation with my friend Ray about a piece of property, and if the, and literally if the property is off market, I mean the way my conversation would go with you, or anybody else, and it's I would do it even if I don't have a great relationship. The same conversation, I would literally be saying to somebody that said to me they're looking to purchase something, I'd be simply saying this. If there was a property and it was not listed for sale, it was off market, or there's a property that a fee is not being offered in the buyer's side, and this property fits exactly what you're telling me you want, the returns work, would you have any issue paying me X amount of dollars for that? And we'll put it in writing and I will make sure if I'm showing you something that you have to pay me because some of the things I may show you may be a fee may be being offered right. that that I would make that very clear to you. And sure. I know in my own experience, rarely if ever does somebody say no to that. If it's going to be what fits what their textbook criteria is. Transparency is the key on that stuff. I think it just leads to misunderstandings when everybody, and I've experienced it my own life where you have Different, differing levels of expectations, different levels of fear, and, and and they change from yes to when the deal really happens. So I think if it's established out front, everybody can write it into the deal, and the deals are done or not done. I've never seen anybody say, I'm not going to pay you for providing me with an opportunity. The question becomes, how, then becomes how much? Is it worth it, this and that? And if that's established in the front, everybody can underwrite and everybody can go forward. And I think it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted the people to have the confidence to know. 100%. Yeah. And, and, and you, the most important thing you said is if it makes sense for everybody, they can build it in right. and go forward. 100%. That's, that's the part we're knowing. So I want you to put your investor cap on for a second. So you're a purchaser and I was a residential realtor bringing you an opportunity. And let's just call it right now. Let's just say it, it's a six tenant building. What would you tell me are the things you want to know to be able to evaluate if this makes sense? So if I was to bring you something and I brought you things, so I know what you're looking for, but what is important for a residential agent to understand that you need to have to be able to understand if it makes any sense to you? I would say the important thing for and it, it and it doesn't take any special degree. It's just educate yourself about the property before you talk to the client first. What are the lease terms? Who are the tenants? What financing is or isn't an available? What kind of what kind of expenses run with the building, and what the real income to a building was be, and then that lease exposure was you know you may have a great tenant and it sounds great to have Starbucks, but if Starbucks has an out in their lease, which they typically do after a certain number of years, then you think you have Starbucks for twenty years, but maybe you only have Starbucks for a year or three years. Right. So to educate yourself about the property. And it's, once again, no different than a residential real estate. If you're buying an apartment house or you're buying a two-family house, how long are the leases? How strong is the tenant? It's, it's, it's the same basic elements. And the question becomes just knowing what questions to ask. And they're not really much different. Somebody's, you got to look at this commercial tenant, no different than a tenant that's in your house. Yeah. Are they strong? Can they make the payments? How long is their lease? And if their lease is short, 
how viable, how, how quickly can I re-rent this house? How quickly can I re-rent this space? Those are all the things that a person considers. And then as I know it says what's crazy, and, it, and this is where it comes, location. You know, if it's a killer location and, and then it's a whole, it, then that gives people a little bit of ability to take more risk beyond the tenants. And that goes through residential real estate, through commercial real estate. Is it, you know, a corner? Is it on a corner and a well-trafficked corner at a light is no different than is that house that's on the water that there's only so many. There's only four corners to every intersection. There's only so many properties on the water. So I want to hit a couple of things you just said just to play back for everybody. So the first thing, location, is that the reason why I believe you're saying that location, you might even take more risk in the location because you know you have a greater chance to get other tenants Correct. to come into that space because national tenants so many times that criteria is those four lights or to be in a very busy from a demographic standpoint. Second thing I just want to break down is that, you know, those folks in our high risers club understand that investor valuation is based on net operating income, income and expense. And you just talked about that. You need to know income, you need to know expenses. And we talk about you have to have a really great rent roll that really tells you lease expiration who's paying for what so you can do your full analysis once you have that then you really can start to make an educated decision about what you think that value is for you overall okay so we're going towards the end of here i want to just any advice that you would give somebody that's a residential realtor that's thinking about like commercial real estate anything that you would just say overall, because so much of life is either what they've been told or where their confidence level is. I started off, like I said, as a residential real estate lawyer. And I think everybody, if you if you want to expand your business, if you want to be pop, I always looked at residential real estate that I, I knew it, I understood it. But I always looked at every closing as an interview for something else. And the people may own other properties. They may, you're all through your own experiences. And then through that, you can educate yourself. And I, I always looked at every closing, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how small it is. I would do a $100,000 closing and I do a $5 million closing. And I always thought I was, I always treated as if I was being interviewed for work in the future. And I wanted to prove to that person that I knew what I was talking about. And I wanted to find out what else they did, how else they did it. More at it, it was curiosity, but it was also, the ability to find out that if they're comfortable with you, they'll be comfortable with you in other directions. So if you keep yourself well-educated, you try and stay on top of things. You become aware of markets and of movements. You don't have to be an expert in every aspect of real estate. But if you're a good residential real estate broker or agent, you understand value. It's the same basic elements when it comes to commercial real estate. You should not be afraid of it. You shouldn't run from it. It's just an, it's, it's really educating yourself to the essentials. The real technical aspects will, will be taken care of by the, a good lawyer who's on your team or a good, a good accountant or a good inspector, but there'd be nothing from you when you hear there's a piece of vacant real estate, know who the best real estate lawyer or re, a zoning lawyer is in town and say, what could be done with this? What, what does this property mean? So. It's just a matter of having the confidence and the interest of educating yourself going forward. There's nothing to run away from. 
There's nothing to shy away from. In fact, I think it'll lead to endless opportunities. And I think you're, if you become, start doing commercial real estate, you'll even become a better residential lawyer, a residential, residential uh, agent or a broker. What I really love, I agree with everything you said there, but what I really love is when you said that you looked at every time you were interviewing for the next opportunity or expanded opportunities. And just to me, it's just saying you were trying to do a great job no matter what it was, because you were building building these relationships Correct. and building the future. So my last question I ask any, everybody, ask a simple question, and I will ask you. So do you have any doubt in your mind that a residential realtor can successfully transact commercial real estate? None at all, provided they want to put the work in. And, it, and it's not a ton of work. It's a matter of just opening your eyes and not being afraid of it. Stick to your essentials, elements, location, value, strength of tenancies. Same thing as if you were looking at a rental home and 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 then possible opportunities. Whether you're looking at a house that's ram that's a little bit that's a beat rundown house that's on the water and you know what the values are for the teardown. It's the same thing when you look at a commercial real estate that property that's underdeveloped or maybe in a non-conforming area or in an area that's about to be gentrified or an area that's up and coming. No, especially with the suburban where 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 things tend to fluctuate a little more. Know your market, know your people. And I don't think it I don't think it's a big jump if you keep to your essential elements. They're, they're basically the same. The language may be a little more different, but it's certainly nothing to be afraid of. So the answer is yes. Yes, 100 percent. OK, great. Thank you so much, Ray. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. As a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast to receive new episodes as soon as they are released. For more information on me, my team, and my educational programs, visit my website at www.coachjeffwright.com. Thank you for listening, and here's to your success.